Hello, and welcome to the first episode of I Just Want to Be Included. I am so happy you are with us today. I am very excited. My first guest is a longtime friend. She has an incredible story to share, several stories to share about her parenting journey. She is open and honest, and I think we'll truly appreciate her insight and her experience. Please note that we are talking about mental health issues, child protective services, and child estrangement. Pretty heavy topics, but as always, I hope you will listen with an open mind and an open heart, have some compassion. It takes a lot of courage and a lot of vulnerability to come and talk about things that have happened and things that we could have done differently as parents. And as always, when we listen to these episodes, please do not take anything that we say as professional advice. Everything said is based on our own personal thoughts, opinions, experiences in our lives. Everyone's family is different. Every situation is different. Please always seek professional help in your community to deal with whatever issues you or your child are facing. Enjoy the episode. Um, have you share that story and um, to talk about lots of lots of different topics. Thank you um, very much. Yeah, I think that um, talking about it is, is very good because we all want to just be included and we all want to know that we're not alone going through absolutely. whatever we're going through. So absolutely. Perfect. Yep. And I just wanted to tell people up front, you know, this is a pretty serious topic because we're talking about child protective services um, yes. entering into your life. But me and you have known each other for a very long time. Yes. <laughs> there will be laughter because that's what we do. <laughs> that's how we deal with things. So it's a serious topic, but, you know, there will be some lightheartedness and some laughter because we just have that right. kind of relationship and um, yeah. you've had time to kind of recover a little bit from the situation. Um, and you have a book that you've written uh, yes. about this whole story. So if people want to check out that book, uh, what is the title? Yeah, the book is called The Comeback Kid, How I Survived the Loss of My Daughter, Who is Still Alive. And by that, I mean that my daughter is um, basically out of my life completely. I haven't seen her, talked to her, you know, except what uh, I could find on, in the Internet by stalking my own child <laughs> right. in six year, over six years. So okay. she's 22 now, and she was 16 when she was taken away from me. And... Um, when the social services intervened, uh, the book, like I said, is called The Comeback Kid. Um, it's by Lisa Marie King, which is my name. So, yes. Uh, and that's available it, on Amazon, right? Yes, Amazon. And to find it, just look up The Comeback Kid, Lisa Marie, and you'll find it pretty easily. So, perfect. It's a, it's a good read. It's, uh, it's just kind of like, you know, me talking, Veronica, for hours and hours like yes. I can do. So, <laughs> <laughs> we can definitely do that, can't we? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I want to start um, your story with you getting a phone call um, yes. one evening and it was, it was pretty late at night, right? Yes. Yeah. So a little background on that. Um, you know, I, I have one child. She's a daughter, uh, single child. We got divorced when she was eight. Um, I had to move away from where her father lived when we, with her, when we were, t when she was 10 but we only moved about an hour and a half away. So I was still able to get her over there to see him. 
Um, when she was 11, she was in a mental hospital for a week because she mm-hmm. was threatening to kill herself at 11 years old. And when she was 12, she moved back in with her father. So she moved away from me. Right. And then at 16, um, I got a phone call in the middle of the night. Um, I've only seen my daughter 11 times between the age of 12 and 16. Wow. And I haven't seen her since she was 16 at all. So yeah. after the call. Um, yeah, it's funny because she was talking about wanting to move back in with me, honestly. Mm-hmm. And so it seemed like we were getting out of the woods. You know, it's, it's one of those things where... The worst things that happen to you in life, it seems like you don't expect them. You, right. You know, yeah, excuse me, absolutely. They, they just happen when you least expect it. You know, and yeah. when you're dreading something and you're worried about something, that's usually when everything will be fine. <laughs> right. <But. laughs> I thought everything was getting much better, actually, because she was talking to me more. She wanted to be with me. And then all of a sudden, I get a call. And, you know, she lived in an 818 area code. So I always thought, well, if it's an 818 number, I'll pick it up no matter what time. Yep. And it's one of those things that's seared in my memory that's going to live with me for the rest of my life and into eternity. And um, the phone was sitting on the couch. I saw it ringing at an 818 number coming in, and it was 1218 at night. I remember wow. vividly that it was 1218 at night. So April 18th, 2017, it was a Tuesday, early, early morning. And I pick up the phone and a man says, you know, is this Lisa, Lisa Marie King? And I said, yes, how can I help you? And the man says, I have your daughter. I'm taking, I mean, I'm a social worker and I'm taking her into custody. <laughs> My first wow. thought about Veronica was, what did she do? You know, what right. did she do? <laughs> um, right. What kind of, you know, and I, I find it ironic that I thought she must have fallen into a bad crowd. Because we always think that our children can't think of anything bad by themselves, right? Right, right, <laughs> yeah. The you influence of other bad people. <laughs> right. <laughs> they yep. didn't decide to rob a car, you know, steal a car by themselves. <laughs> um, yeah. They must have hit out. And then he said, no, we're, we're protecting her. And I said, from what? <laughs> right. <laughs> thinking, well, what, what, what does she need to be protected from? I, I, I knew her father for a very long time, right? He was married right. to the man for 13 years. Yeah, I knew him for about three or four years before we got married, and I, I knew what kind of man he was. Sure, he wasn't father of the year, but I wasn't mother of the year, and yeah, I just never expected he would do anything, which, I mean, I honestly, I don't believe he ever did. I don't think that this is a case of me just not knowing about any kind of abuse. I think it's a case of um, they believed my daughter above anything else, so... right. You know, and and that's a common thread, I think, that's happening lately because social services, they do want to protect the children. And they're absolutely, that's their job. That's what they are supposed to do. Yeah. You know, to protect kids. And um, they took my daughter, like I said, away. Uh, What happened was they came over to my ex-husband's house on Monday night at 10 o'clock at night. It was an emergency social worker and three cops. Okay. And um, two cops talked to him downstairs and the social worker and another cop were talking to my daughter upstairs in her room. Uh-huh. And um, it's funny because my mind made me think that this was perfectly a normal situation. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This you happens every day. Yeah. Right. Um, but when I'm back to the phone call, I know I'm jumping around, but back to the That's phone right. call, when I was on the call with the man, I... I asked to hear from my daughter because right. 
at that moment, Veronica, the only thing that I could cling to, I needed some kind of proof that this was real. Yeah, I absolutely. Didn't, I didn't know what was going on. Uh, yeah. Things were getting better. I thought we were getting out of the woods. And then it felt like, you know, you're out in the middle of the ocean and somebody puts a hole in your boat. And now you're treading water and you're trying to swim and yeah, you don't know what, what is going on. Yeah. And I heard, her, I had to hear her voice. And so... I understand a little bit better why people need to see their child if their child's been hurt or God forbid killed in some kind of serious way, because it's hard to believe when you hear something so unbelievable, it's the unimaginable, you know, like that song in Hamilton, we push away the unimaginable. We we don't want to believe it. (laughs) Yeah. We cling to what's normal to us. Yeah. And we push away the unimaginable and it's, I never could have ever, I mean, You've known me for almost my entire life, and you, we never could have imagined either one of us going through something like this. And, no, absolutely not. Um, so, like I said, the the voice of my daughter was what helped me to solidify it, at least in my mind for the moment. So my mind was clinging to some kind of reality by seeing, okay, this is real because I heard my daughter's voice. Yeah. But my mind was also trying to tell me, this is perfectly normal. Everyone else goes through this too. Right. To try to help me feel like I wasn't completely insane <laughs> and crazy right. and on this island all by myself. Um, right. So- and talk about, you know, they didn't let you have a conversation with your daughter, right? It was like you had a kind of demand, I need to hear from her. But it wasn't like you got to have a conversation, you got to talk to her. It was like a very quick yeah, thing, right? Well, and, and I think that was partially from her as well. She did not want to talk to me. Right. Um, and the man at first says, I, I don't think I can put her on the phone. I said, put my daughter on the phone. I said, very sternly yeah. and very upset because I just did not know what was going on. I was clinging yeah. to whatever reality I could find, you know. Right. And um, so she she gets in the phone with me. And she just briefly says hello, and I'm yelling her name, and I'm saying what's going on, and yeah, what's what's are you okay? And I gotta go, mom. No, don't go, don't go. Get back here, Ella. Come on. Yeah. And the guy gets back on the phone and says, "You will be at court on on Friday, won't you?" And I said, "Of course." I don't know where I'm going. I don't know why I'm going. <laughs> but of course, <laughs> where are we? I'll be there. <laughs> yeah. I'm just tell work. I gotta take a day off. You know. But your mother instinct is wherever you need me, I will be. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I would pay if fa- you know, whatever you need me to do, whatever money, it doesn't matter. You know, it's your child. And um, the, going through this kind of loss of, of a total loss of somebody that's still alive, especially this close of a relationship. I mean, I think what it does to you as a person is it makes you value, you value your relationships with other people, but, the loss of a relationship with other people doesn't seem as scary anymore. Yeah. I mean, like I know eventually my parents who are God blessing me, you know, God's blessed me with parents that are still alive. Yeah. Um, I know eventually they'll both pass away mm-hmm. like everyone does, but I know that um, I'll be able to handle it. You know, right. I'll be able to get through it because I've gotten through this. Yeah. <laughs> You've survived um, like the worst case scenario in your mind. Right. Right. And, and that's yeah. kind of like, you know, I guess what people do with fear sometimes too, is that once, uh, once you get over something that's horrible, you can 
live your life a little less fearful because you know that, uh, you know, <laughs> it can't get much worse than that, but maybe it right. can, who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't really want to ask that question sometimes because no, you never no. know. <laughs> <laughs> that and don't ask for patience, trust me. <laughs> don't recommend that at all. <laughs> Gotta be like, oh, we'll work on patience. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> all right, so let's talk about, you got the phone call and then right. you shut up in court did anything happen in between you getting that phone call and you showing in court? Was there any kind of conversation? Was there any kind of information given to you? Did you have anything to go on at that point? Um, only from my ex-husband before okay. I got to court. Okay. And um, my ex-husband gave me an email in the middle of the night. And this is the, this is the funny part about going through something like this. You know, you're, you're in shock. You're basically in shock. I mean, my my first thought, honestly, was who am I going to call at 1230 at night after I got off the phone call? Yeah. And the other call, thought was maybe I'll go to Taco Bell and get some food. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Go for the comfort. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I don't even know why I thought about that because I was finishing up a bowl of soup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> had earlier from dinner you know, that I bought earlier. So uh, why do I want Taco Bell? I don't know. But yeah, I right. even thought about going for a walk. I mean, I yeah. never go for a walk at 1230 at night, but right. I had no idea what to do. You were in crisis mode. Yeah. Yeah. You're in shock and your body's just, ah. <laughs> yeah. Looking for something. And so, so it's interesting that Brian sent you an email. Yes. Do you think that's because he just couldn't get the words out of his mouth? Um, yeah. Brian's my ex-husband, my, my daughter Ella's father. And yep. Brian did send the email and um, he was basically explaining everything. Now, yeah, Brian and I did not have a really great parting of ways when he decided to take our daughter at 12 years right. old. Um, basically accused me of not being a very good parent because she was, you know, missing school. She missed 45 days of school in one year yeah. with me. So I don't look like a good parent on paper. Right. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, I wanted to be a good parent. I really did. But. The personalities between me and my daughter was just too difficult for me to stand up and be the strong disciplinarian I needed to be with her. Mm -hmm. You know, because I'm a very codependent, passive, aggressive personality. So, yeah, <laughs> the passive side usually was where we were. <laughs> <laughs> you knew your place in that relationship. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> All right. Um, so he sent you an email, basically, yeah. number one, because... You guys were not on good speaking terms at that point. Is that well, fair to say? No, I mean, I, I think he sent the email just because he just didn't know how to say it in words. Okay. Like you said yeah. before, we were yeah. talking fairly decently okay. um, at that point. But okay. um, he was a little disappointed that Ella wanted to move in with me now. He basically, right. you know, I, I almost think he saw it like a, a tug of war or something, you know, like, yeah, yeah. now you win. <laughs> yeah, I never saw parenting like that. I wanted to parent with him, you know. Right, <laughs> but that's probably a, together. Yeah, that's probably a common feeling in a divorce situation where kids yeah. are involved, right? I would think yeah. that's very common. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I think that sometimes parents do play a part in the fact that. Uh, I mean, I can't deny the fact that he probably played a part in the fact that I only saw my daughter eleven times. Right. While she lived with him. And I mean, I don't mean 11 times in one year. I mean, 11 times in four years. I mean, yeah. I had a couple yeah. of years that went through that went by where I didn't see her at all in a whole year. Yeah. I remember wow. in 2015, I finally had a breakdown and I said, 
Brian, I, I need to see my daughter. And he said, well, Lisa, do you want to see her or do you just think you should want to see her? I said, I have not seen her since, you know, and I gave the time and the date. Yeah. And I said, I'm not telling you. I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. I need to see yeah. my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I need to see her. So, yeah. and he facilitated a um, visit at a park for an hour. I felt like I was on a visit, you know, one of those supervised visits because he right. literally waited in the car. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not going to hurt her. I just need to see my child. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Right. That felt really difficult. And that was when she was only a few. Uh, she must have been about 13 or 14 years old. I think 14 at that point. So Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of backstory here. There is. Into this situation <laughs> happening. And you're going to be a, a frequent guest on the show because we have lots to talk about. <laughs> frequent flyer, yeah. Um, <laughs> frequent flyer, I'll like keep that. my card handy. My, <laughs> my punch right. card. Get a free soda at the end of it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I like that. Um, so, you know, Brian sent you an email explaining what happened. Yes, and sorry. Then, can... That's okay. It's Joke. all good information. <laughs> that's all right. Um, yeah. So... Before you went to court, did you hear from social services? Did you hear from anybody besides Brian? I, I know that they called me very frequently, uh, but I can't remember if it was before court or after court. Okay. Um, I think I know that I was talking to the, the, I talked to the emergency social worker, the gentleman that called me the first night a few times, and he turned out to be a very nice man. Um, in fact, he's the one that asked me, um, just caringly asked me if I had, any family nearby and i said yes ella and brian right <laughs> you know, yeah the two, two people very much involved yeah very situation. much involved in this situation this case and he said well and but i said i do have a strong church i have a strong relationship with my church yeah and he says so you're a woman of faith and i said i'd like to think so and he said well then you're never really alone are you and that struck me and has stayed with me until this very moment because you know, that, that's part of the reason why I'm still standing today is because of right. my faith and because of the fact that God got me through this. And that's the, the one good benefit out of this is that it does strengthen your faith. You have to have something to rely on. You have to have something yeah. to fall back on. Absolutely. In my book, I talk about it like a fire drill. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. you have fire drills at work or school to show you where to go if there's an emergency. Right. And you have to know where you're going to fall in an emergency in your own life. Right. And I was lucky enough to have a faith that I could fall back on because. Yeah. I like that I'm analogy. Here. That's a very good analogy. I do. I like that. Thank you. I wrote that. All right. <laughs> yes, <Ryan>. you did. <laughs> All right. So talk about when you first, that first time you went to court, did you know what to expect? What happened? Kind of how did that play out? I had no idea what to expect. It was, it was very funny. Um, so the social worker, uh, you know what, you're right. I did talk to the guy before I went to court because he gave me some helpful hints about going to court. Oh, good. He told me that the courthouse was U close to UCLA and that um, sometimes the departments or the rooms, you know, courthouses, they call them departments, do not coincide with the number of the floor that they, you know, like the first number <laughs> won't be the number of the floor. Interesting. So, <laughs> yeah. He tells me that. So I... Pull up. I have to be at court at eight thirty in the morning, and you know me. I'm not the most punctual person ever. And you're living in California, where the traffic is a nightmare. It's horrible. Yeah, yeah. There's about fifty thousand friends on the road with me at that right. point. Yeah. <laughs> so it was pretty bad, and um, I I drive over. To, I leave my apartment, 
around 7.20, 7.15, and I thought I'll be perfectly fine. I had $1 bill in my pocket, and I thought, well, maybe I should go to the bank and grab a 20. But now, who doesn't take cat? You know, who doesn't take credit cards these days, right? Right. <laughs> Not going to have a problem, right? So mm-hmm. I drive over, get to the courthouse, pull up a long, windy driveway to the parking structure, and see a sign that says cash only. <laughs> nice. $6. So I am out of luck. I don't have cash to pay for the parking. You have to pay for it before you can walk in the building. So I pull up and I ask the lady if I can write her a check. Right. <laughs> she says, no. I'm sorry, sweetie, I can't accept a check. <laughs> a credit card, I can give it to you. You can just give it back to me later. I mean, you know, whatever you want. Here's my collateral. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will come back, I promise. You know, but um, she said, no, but there's a gas station down the street, you know, right on the corner down there. So I said, okay, fine. And so I was actually doing really good that day, Veronica. I was five minutes early. That's good for you. That is really <laughs> it is good, for you. good for me. <laughs> well, after all this stuff with the, the money, I was late. But, you right. know, um, I had to go down to the gas station, grab a 20. I grabbed $40 just to be safe and came right. back and had to park. But it was funny because when I finally got up to the, you know, we were both waiting there and it was kind of comforting to see Brian, even though he was my ex-husband because he and I were the only two people that pretty much were involved in this right from the very beginning, you know? Yeah. And, um, he and I waited until they called, they said that the departments were ready. So we were running, the courthouse was running late. So everything was fine. I, um, actually went downstairs and grabbed us both something to eat or and drink, like, you know, coffee and some kind of, snack for breakfast and I saw yeah. that Brian Brian barely touched his coffee and barely touched his snacks. So I knew that, yeah. you know, this was really affecting him personally. Absolutely. I mean I've seen him change a lot. You know, he's he's not the person that he was before this. And I guess that's what happens to all of us. I mean yeah. I'm not a person that is before true. the start either. Yeah. And um so when they finally called, you know, said that the assignments were ready that we could go up there and see where we needed to go. I noticed a huge sign that said all the department numbers and all the floors they were on. So, like I said, sometimes the department's done on the same floor as the first number. So, gotcha. 405, for example, is on floor three, and 410 is on floor four. Well, <laughs> I can read the big sign. So, I get up there and I ask the lady, you know, I tell the lady my daughter's name. She says, oh, okay, do you guys have attorneys? And I said, well, my, hus- my ex-husband paid for his own attorney. I said, I don't want an attorney. I don't need one. She said, no, you'll, you'll need an attorney. And I said, no, this is just my kid. I don't need an attorney. Right. <laughs> she says, no, we will assign an attorney for you. We will appoint an attorney for you. So I, I need an attorney. And it felt so strange because I yeah. just walked up there and said, no, this is my daughter. I don't need an attorney for this. Not even in trouble. <laughs> you know, right. Because well, at this point, you're thinking the accusations were made against the ex- like right. there's, you didn't feel like you were in danger of being accused of right. anything or losing anything um, in the situation. So, right, you just didn't see the need for an attorney. No, yeah, exactly. I'm like oh, this is just this is just Ella, you know. She's just playing the right. game, right? Right. Just playing the make believe here, you know. And, and right. I guess that's what I was thinking. And so they did appoint me an attorney. Okay. And. Um, we all had our attorneys, but going back to the phone call, the night of the phone call, it was funny that, you know, you were talking about the email that I got from 
Brian, well, I got my on the phone with my aunt. I have an aunt that lives in Texas, and she's my my person that I call in the middle of the night when something's terribly wrong. Gotcha. So I tried calling her twice because <laughs> she was sleeping, and I woke right. her up on the second call. <laughs> and so I got the you know I got on the phone with her, and I'm telling her what happened, and I noticed that I got the email from Brian, and I read it to her, and she says, "Well, have you talked to him yet?" And I said, "No." And I said, "Do you think he's awake?" And she said, can you sleep right now? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. no, I guess not. <laughs> you know, so there's that reality kicking you know, the, the brain right. is saying, oh, it's 1231 o'clock in the morning. He's not going to be awake. Right. But, you know, your whole world is just imploded. So I think he's going to be, a, you know, I don't think he can Probably. Sleep well. Likely to be awake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's, that was, uh, it's, it's been an interesting journey. It's been very interesting. It's been over six years now. Or, you know, since the phone call, about five years since court. And yeah. um, the big thing for me now that I'm going through is just trying to keep on going, you know. Right. Um, so talk about, because one interesting aspect of your story is that you made the decision very quickly to support your ex and to stand by his side, which... Yeah. Probably doesn't happen a lot in family court, to be honest. <laughs> it's probably not no. something they're used to. But talk about how you made that and why you made that decision. Um, I know that, uh, you know, like I said before, my daughter was in a mental hospital when she was in the fifth grade. Um, I know that the paperwork from the mental hospital, there was a doctor um, visit that she had to do when she was being released. And the doctor wrote down in his notes that the child said there was no abuse, no physical, emotional, mental, sexual abuse. So I, um, I've known my ex-husband for a long time. Mm -hmm. I know that we did have a friend that was involved in some child pornography that got fired from his job for that. And I know we had a conversation about that man being around our daughter. Right. And we both were on the same page that he's, he's not going to be around our daughter yeah. ever, you know, because... Yeah. We just didn't want that to be in our, our child's life. Mm -hmm. So um, just knowing him, you know, knowing the kind of person he was, knowing how he was with her, knowing that, uh, you know, there's been times when I've seen him just jump out, you know, like, uh, there was that time that I wrote about in the book where we were in Culver City and we were at a friend's house and my mother flew in from Ohio and was, you know, staying with, her, with us and visiting us. And she took a taxi to the friend's house and she was going to drive my daughter home in my car. We both drove separate cars and she got lost. <laughs> so yeah. when the phone died on that incident, you know, my ex-husband ran out the door faster than I could put on my flip-flops. Right. And he was trying to chase down his kid. You know, he was yeah. adamant about finding his daughter. Yeah. So there was and no doubt in your mind that whatever accusation had been laid against him was... Not true. There was no truth behind it. No, there wasn't any doubt for me because I also knew the stuff that she was saying about me. She was saying right. that, I mean, you know, I, I was a very lenient parent. I was a very indulgent parent, but she said that I was a um, neglectful parent, that I neglected her, that I just, you know, she said things like that. She said things that I was mentally incompetent and, you know, I've been able to hold jobs for many years. I've been able to right. keep my, my apartment, you know, keep rent paid right. every month. Um, so these are things that a mentally competent person can do, right? Not a mentally incompetent person. So yeah, 
she was saying that um, I knew the things that she was saying about me couldn't be true and were not true. Right. So to me, you can't take part of the truth and keep, you know, consider part of it truth and part of it lies. Right. See, they're all, and I know the kind of things that she said. I know the incidents she talked about. I talked to Brian about them and he said, no, that's not how it happened. Right. You know, she took innocent incidences and turned them into something vile. Yeah. Um, there was one time that uh, she was taking a shower and it wasn't, um, you know, he wasn't trying to do anything, but he had to open the bathroom door. You know, if a child's in the shower, I mean, the child would ask us what when she was sitting next to us. Sometimes she didn't hear you or she didn't want to right. hear you. Yep. You know, so you have to open the bathroom door ever so slightly or at least enough that you can yell into the bathroom, hey, I'm going out to the store or whatever he yeah. was doing. You yeah. know, so she turned that into, he opened the bathroom door and was filming her. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, so, you know, just adding a couple words to that makes it something vile instead right. of the truth. And that's the scary part about it, because she took truths and turned them into something that was different from what yeah. it really was. Yeah. You know, she took some information that was true and mixed in lies and got this stoop of whatever you want to call this. <laughs> You know, that turned out to be stuff that she could accuse us of. And apparently the system thought it was dangerous enough that they took her away. Yeah. Um, I did have several conversations with social workers and I tried to um, ask if I could see her. And they would always tell me that she just was adamant about not seeing her parents. So because my 16, 17 year old daughter did not want to see us, which, you know, how many People That's pretty that typical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mom and dad are not your favorite person, even in no. the best circumstances. Right. Um, you know, because she didn't want to see us. We could not see her. Yeah. They would not allow that. So. Wow. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the court. I know you went to, how many times did you go to court in total? Do you know? I went to court six times. Okay. Six different times. Yeah. And what were those, um, court proceedings like what were the what was the purpose of them did they accomplish anything i don't know i think all we ever did veronica honestly was figure out when we were going to meet again you know they, okay they asked the judge would talk about something real quickly and then he would ask everybody okay what's your schedule like when can we meet again um i think a lot of things happened behind closed doors that we weren't even privy privy to wow so, yeah, um, the biggest thing that happened was in June, we had a paper that she wanted us to sign. Her representatives came up with this deal where, um, you know, the, the, in these kind of situations, the state does provide some free services to reunite with the child. So once they deem that you're fit enough, I guess, to have your child back, um, <laughs> they, they have services that will help you reunite with your kid. You know, like a social worker or not a social worker, excuse me, but like a, a counselor or yeah. therapist and things like that that will help the, you know, the resolve to get more smooth, to be more smooth. Right. And um, the goal would be to like reunify the family and put the family back together typically, right? Right. Well, her representatives asked us to sign a paper saying that we, we deny those services. We, we give up those services. We refuse them. And people have asked me, why did you sign that paper? And I said, well, she, I knew what I was fighting against. You've got to know what yeah. your en who your enemy is. My enemy wasn't the state. 
wasn't yeah. the state. It was my daughter. My daughter was doing this on purpose. She did not want to live with either one of us anymore because she did have a friend that she wanted to live with who ended up being her foster sister. So her friend's parents actually took her in. And that's another episode another day. But <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, we ended up uh, having to sign this paper that said that we give up the services to reunify with our daughter because she um, basically said if we did not sign the paperwork that we would go back to square one and we would discuss his drinking. We would discuss how my ex-husband drank. My ex-husband still drinks. Yeah. Um, you know, that he was a violent drunk. Well, he was never really violent about it. I mean, should he, could he get mad? Of course he could get mad. Anybody can get mad. Yeah. Um, but I did not want to go back to court and start from square one. <laughs> so it was, was almost like blackmail. <laughs> like, it was. sign this or things are going to get worse and I'm going to make it even more miserable than you already are kind of thing. Right. It was. And, and I've had people even in the church that said, well, why didn't you just go back and talk about his drinking? You should have talked about his drinking. And I said, but I bought the booze for him. <laughs> right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, I can't deny that I did that. I mean, yeah. They probably have footage from the grocery store, even though it was many, many yeah. years ago. That and I bought she, the. Yeah. Sorry, and she ahead. had a, she had a certain outcome in her head that she wanted. So right. it was, you knew that there was just going to be a cycle of, there's going to be no winning in this scenario, you know, because right. whatever you said or however fought you hot, she was going to come back and fight harder. Exactly. Because, yeah, you're right. She had a motive. She had a an outcome that she had wanted in her mind. And that's how this is going to go. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel for parents that are going through that. I, I don't even know. Honestly, even after going through it, I don't know how to say, you know, keep on going. It's going to be fine because, you yeah. know. It was hell. I mean, it was yeah, it's still hell. Absolutely. It's terrible. Yeah. It's the worst thing I've ever been through by far. And and being a single parent was not easy, but being this way, uh, you know, and then I, I, I've joined a couple groups about for estranged parents on Facebook. And you see the, the terrible things that they're going through with their children in their lives. So it becomes like this catch 22. I mean, my right. biggest fear and my biggest, um, anticipation in life are one and the same seeing my daughter again you know i, I yeah. dread the day and i look forward to the day with great anticipation because right. I, I would love to see my child again i want to see my daughter but i know i know what kind of person ella is and i know uh, how strong-willed she is and i know that um i don't think it would go as the, as i would like it to go i don't know i think yeah. i might be one of those parents saying i can't believe she's saying this stuff about me right you know so, and another thing about the situation that's you know was shocking to me was Ellen never went to court, right? No, never showed up in court. Everything was it sounds like everything was done like between attorneys, right? Right, yeah, she never did, and um, you know, neither did the foster parents. The foster parents never had to show up. And one of the reports we, we all got interviewed by social workers. I have one actually come up to my home, to my apartment, and sit with me for about an hour and a half and interview me here. And I live miles away from where she was located, but she came out at night to help, you know, with my schedule. And um, I said, well, maybe we can meet at a restaurant near, you know, closer to where you are. And she said, no, you're going to want to be at home for this. <laughs> yeah. She was like, you're going to fall apart, basically, is what she was and trying to tell just me. just another way that you're kind of naive about what was really going on here. Right. Right. You just really understand the big picture. 
I had no idea what was going on. I really didn't. Um, you know, I just thought that this was a lot more common and normal than it really was. And I still, to this day, I've got a lot of questions that don't have any answers, but right. Yeah. You know, this is, this has taught me that that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of things in life that God knows and we're not meant to know. <laughs> right. We just don't yeah. have the, the privilege of knowing that. Yeah. Um, she mentioned that me and you have talked about with the situation is <clears throat> that how Ella was treated and what weight her words were given to is very much dependent on her age. Because she was 16, right. you felt like that situation was very different than if she had been like six. Um, you may have been treated differently as a parent, how they handled her, how they handled all of this may have been very different, but her being 16 seems to really have affected um, how this was handled from the get-go. Yeah, that's that's true. And um, where I was going earlier was that uh, when Ella did her interview, she basically told them that she needed to take a break and she needed to rest. And she made it very dramatic. And and it was, you know, just this terrible, horrible thing that she's been through in her life. And um, she made it sound like she had this horrible upbringing and that we were terrible parents and um she just she really twisted the truth a lot and (laughs) just her age right like right you know we've talked about that she had a lot more control of the situation than a kid normally would have right she did and um you know because we've we've seen it on tv i mean i watch a lot of dateline and we (laughs) there's plenty of cases where people have had their children with them or they should never have been able to have the child in the first place. They've done something terrible. They've done something, you know, they're up for murder or whatever. And mm-hmm. they're able to have their children back, you know, at least on a visitation, you know. And that's, right. that's to me, it's wrong. Right. Um, but, again, I can understand where the, the state is actually coming from. Because trying to get my daughter to do anything was damn near impossible. Excuse me. And you knew that. Was, yeah. <laughs> and you knew that from per- firsthand experience. Oh, I did. Because, you know, <laughs> yeah. she came back from the hospital when she was 11 and she was supposed to take medicine and Ella could not swallow pills. So I gave her, um, I bought a pill crusher, just like they did at the hospital. They crushed right. the pills up and put it in applesauce and she would eat the right. applesauce. I could not get that child to eat applesauce at home with pills in it. To save my life. I mean, I would have had to literally shove it down her throat. <laughs> I was like, well, right. I can't do that because that's the child uh, abuse. So I knew better than to do that. Uh, yeah. Even when she was only 11. So I never, you know, I never did anything that warranted the phone call or anything like that. Right. It just was another step in the demise and the tragic situation that was with, that we had with my daughter, you know? Yeah. And the funny thing is she's very smart. She was a very smart kid. I mean, and she was with me, like I said, she was fail- you know, pretty much failing the fifth grade. I'm surprised she did not have to repeat it. Um, but then when she moved in with her father, I remember the first report card I got after she moved in with her dad. And <laughs> I remember opening the report card thinking, oh, God, I-, I hope it's okay. And I look at the thing, and you know what, Veronica, it was all A's. Right. Straight A's across the board. I'm like, dang. Should you be happy or mad? <laughs> you don't even know. I know, right? I'm like, this is great, but this sucks. <laughs> right. I look yep. like crap right now. I look like a terrible parent. <laughs> Those are harsh realities, aren't they? 
Yeah. <laughs> Darn it. She's smarter than I thought. <laughs> you know. Right. And then it makes my mind wonder when going through the, the whole court case, it makes me my, my mind wonder because I almost think that she knew that the way that she acted in the fifth grade, she would not go to school for me. And I, I begged her. I cried. I pleaded. I yelled. I bribed her. I mean, I did everything I possibly could to get her to go to school. I, I had a job that was, you know, 20 minutes away from my apartment, and I had a boss that was watching the clock and watching me and watching the door. And, <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to make sure that I did not lose my job. So Right. Yeah. Because that's important. <laughs> absolutely. As a single parent, absolutely. <laughs> right. You know, I had to be able to feed her. So um, I would call her out. I would call her out every day that she would not go to school and... I ended up calling her out 45 days in one year. And so, you know, your mind kind of wanders. How far back did the planning go for this? Because I know she planned this out. When right. she planned this out in the fifth grade, when she was only 10, 11 years old. You know, yeah. I don't know. Maybe she was. <laughs> yeah. She's smart enough, I think, to have planned it out that far back. But, you know, then your mind also asks yourself, how, how did she feel about me? Did she ever love me? I mean... I hope right. like when she was four and five, she did because, you know, she said that to me. I love you, mama. You know, right. <laughs> was you it a like lie? You think that was true? <laughs> <laughs> it right. was all a lie. You know, I don't know. <laughs> right. So I hope some of that has helped. I don't know if uh, I think I just kind of rambled on like a crazy woman, but <laughs> you did not. It's, you know, it's a very, and I was talking to you while this was going on in real time and I just kept thinking, this is like a movie. Like, I cannot uh, fathom that this is really happening. And one thing that you talked about is, you know, you and Brian never felt like you were in control. Once CPS oh, no. got involved, you were no. not in control in any way, shape, or form. And you really didn't have any rights at that point. No, Even really though didn't. there wasn't evidence of anything being done wrong, like they couldn't prove that anything bad right. happened you still, your rights were just taken away in a heartbeat. Right. You know, and, and you mentioned earlier what happened in court. Well, one of the last things that happened in court was um, the judge, when the judge um, said that, that Ella would be living with her foster parents, the judge said, well, Miss King, I find you not in non, what did he say? He said, I find you non-offensive, meaning I've done nothing wrong. You've mm -hmm. done nothing wrong, but I still think it's better for your daughter to live with a foster family. Do you, do you understand? And I said, yes, thank you, Your Honor, very much. Thank you. Right. And <laughs> if, what if else that, are you well, going to say? Right. You you have to, especially since they thought I was crazy, I had to really maintain some kind <laughs> yeah, of <that's> decorum. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, you, you want to jump up and down and you want to say, what the heck? You know, you, you just yeah. want to this obscenity, you know, train coming flying out of your mouth, right? Yeah. <laughs> flying beep, 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 you know? Yeah. What's going on here? Because I, I always wanted to be a parent. You know me, when I was a kid, mm -hmm. I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a parent. I, I took childcare classes. I was going to be, I was a babysitter since I was 12. I babysat a lot of kids in my neighborhood. Um, I was going to be an early education teacher when, when Ella was a baby, I mean, I was spot on as a parent. I did really good until she was about four. 
<laughs> right. And then it went downhill from there. Because <laughs> she became Your smarter than me. for the faint at heart. For no. sure. <laughs> I think she became smarter at me than me at four years old. And <laughs> Should you figure it out? Knew how to manipulate me. It was not easy. Yeah. <laughs> at that point. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. It's not for the faint of heart. It's something that uh, I think in our generation, you know, we're both pushing 50 close enough. Yes. And uh, sorry to give that away. Yeah. <laughs> That's reality. I'm accepting it. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is. Um, but I think in our generation, we, we grew up with, you know, dolls. And we grew up thinking that everybody should go out and have kids and babies and have a family. That's and everything will be fine. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be great. Yeah. I mean, babies yeah. are so wonderful, aren't they? And, yeah. You know, and then you bring home this this seven pound or six pound or five pound little bundle, and you're like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna break it!" <laughs> or they might break me. <laughs> it goes from, I might break that, but then it turns into they might break me physically and mentally. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, she she came pretty darn close. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, I I I've been to the edge and back, and I'm okay. I've survived it. You know, yeah, I've, I've seen the 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 damage land. I've seen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can happen yeah um, yeah I remember when my when I was young my mom always had the poison control number on the by the phone yeah and I never understood that until I got to be a parent myself and then one yeah. time I was in a park with Ella and she just picked up a flower off the ground it was one of those little thistle type things that little tiny flower that you can see all over the place pops it in her mouth and just starts chewing it I'm like no no I'm right behind <laughs> her but I could get my finger in her mouth quick enough Right. She was a toddler, and so she's walking around. She's eating this flower. I'm calling the poison control on my cell phone because <laughs> well, I had the number po you know, programmed into my phone. I'm like, she just ate a flower. She just ate a flower. And I'm like, okay, what, what is she doing now? She's getting on the slide. She's getting on the slide. <laughs> All right, you need to calm down. She's fine. I said, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, she's fine. You're going to have a heart attack. <laughs> so... I'm like, I guess you're right. Okay. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for joining us today. And a big thank you to Lisa for talking with us and sharing her story. I will talk with Lisa again next week about the aftermath of the story, about how she faced daily life, the grieving process, so I hope you will join us again. Hang in there. We're all doing the best we can. Have a good week.